Today we are going to be uh, in the book of Ephesians, finishing up our series, and our uh, memory verse for today is this, it's Ephesians 6.11, which says this, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And uh, it's an empowering verse. There's something that we can do. And uh, it, it lets us know uh, that, there's, that God doesn't just send us out into this world completely vulnerable. There is something that we can do. And uh, so we're going to talk today about how do we put on that full armor of God. What does it even mean? And so, uh, but uh, hopefully that you are ready for a, an empowering ver- uh, passage because that's what we have for us today. So in order to get there, we want to turn our Bibles to Ephesians 6. Um, that is going to be on uh, page 817 if you have one of our Bibles. Um, if you didn't uh, remember to bring your Bible this morning, that's fine. We've got plenty in the back. Grab one of those. And, and if you need a Bible, just take one, our gift to you. Uh, so there you go. So Ephesians 6 is on page 817, if you got one of ours. And uh, as you're turning there, let's just do a real quick recap of everything that we've covered so far in this series, right, in this book. First half, we have everything that God has done for us, right? All these great things that God did for us in helping us build a community of grace. To, he's, he's equipped us with everything we need through the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We've got incredible gifts from God. He's, he's supplied us from all of our needs. Everything that we need to live a victorious life in Christ, he's given to us. And not only that, the next week we find out that we have been saved by grace through faith, not by works. So it's, uh, which is really awesome, right? So that we don't have to all be bragful about all boasting about how good we are. Instead, we can recognize that it's not about how good we are, it's how great God is. And because of that, it says that we have been saved by all that grace for good works, that God has work for us to do. And there's a reason in which he's given us this wonderful grace. And so we're encouraged in that to say, listen, let's, let's take off that old life that we had, the old way of living, the old way of trying to do things just for me, and let's put on that new life that God has for us, that new life in Christ. And in doing that, it tells us that we definitely have to start putting away sin, getting rid of it so we can start living in purity and light. And in that second half, after it talks about everything God has done for us, it tells us then what we need to do for God which is a great balance, isn't it? Uh, the, a Christian life that is just based upon only grace and has nothing, I don't get to do anything, lives to a very pointless life. Uh, a life that becomes very selfish or uh, even more just distracted. There's no, there's no focus. There's no direction. And so he tells us what we can do for him. Of course, in a Christian life, it's all about what I can do for God if I forget that I can only do that because what he's done for me becomes a very legalistic, awful horrible life and so we have this wonderful balance and so the second half it says what can we do for for god well the first thing it tells us that we need to to be a kind of people that that are are unified we come together in truth and what god has done for us and that our faith is is what uh, is what centers us and then and it's that purity that that new way of life that new culture that he invites us into that we all agree and say listen we're going to stop trying to live according to my kingdom, and we're going to start living for God's kingdom together. And in this, we come together on that, that, that new wonderful culture, that the truth that we understand in those things, we begin to live in light and stop having to hide and pretend we're people we're not. Instead, we can start living in truth. And when we fail, we say we don't live up to God's standards, we can go to him and he helps us. <laughs> and when we do good things for him, he rewards it. It's, it's great. It's this whole new life that he's given us. And in that he talks about then it, in the family, which is the very core of who we are as people. 
He shows us this wonderful way to have harmony even at the home. That is, so the very DNA of the church begins to be a place of peace. And then as we grow in peace and in harmony as a community, how we're going to be effective in the rest of the world. And that's what he talks about here. As he finishes up this passage, it says, all right, now you've done all these things. Now that God has given you all these things, now that we're beginning to build harmony from our very homes, from our very the most innermost intimate parts of our life into the church, now we get the chance to go out and to work in victory. Isn't that fun? Like God has something for us to do, but it's also that we're not working for victory. We get to work from victory, which totally changes things. If we think about it, I, um, have you ever watched a movie like maybe like a Superman movie or something like that, or uh, like a movie and, and the hero in it looks like there's just no way they're gonna they're gonna get it. It just seems like awful, and, and you find yourself all anxious and all that, and then you remember, oh, it's a movie, it'll be okay. You ever had that? So it's like okay, because you don't want to watch because it might be bad, but you know the ending's gonna be all right. So then you're like, okay, let's just see how this works out. As I've done that. A couple of weeks ago, I, I really like watching football games, and I, I'm somewhat of a fan of the Broncos. And, and uh, so when they play and I'm preaching, like today, I'll just record, right? And there was a couple of weeks ago, there was a thing in the evening, and so I had to record the game and not watch it, and I didn't have my phone on, anything like that, so I could just kind of cut it out, so I didn't know what was happening. But there was, a, there was an event happening that night that my wife and I um, got to go to, and so um, we took Thomas over to some friend's house, and I had done a really good job insulating myself. So I did not see what the game was. And so we get to the house and knock on the door. And they hey, come in. I'm like, all right. So I dropped Thomas off. And right in front of me was the game. And I turned away really quickly. I was like, oh, so I won't see it. But I did see the score. <laughs> and I didn't know what quarter it was. But I could figure out the timeline that was probably near kind of the end of the game. And we were ahead. And I will tell you, this is not the way to work because it takes away some of the, you know, the interest in the game. But I'll tell you that knowing that we were ahead, when I started watching the game and it didn't start out well for us, I didn't get all anxious. I was like, yeah, we got this. Let's just see how this plays out. <laughs> right? Now, I wouldn't recommend watching games like that, but it had this strange effect. You understand that we win because God has won. We're on his team. Like, he's won the war. He's won the victory. But just because he's won, it doesn't mean the game's over. There's a battle still raging. But because we know it's won, we don't have to be so anxious. Right? Sometimes bad things will happen when we're like, ah! But we can also be like, well, let's see how this plays out. And that's what it talks about here is in the midst of this, knowing that the battle is won, we still have to fight. How do we go into this battle with this confidence but to be able to live a life of purpose and joy in times that aren't always joyful? And so he gives us that. Hopefully that gave you plenty of time to get into your, uh, to the scripture. It's going to be on age 17 starting in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and, and in his mighty power. Isn't that wonderful? That God tells us that the strength isn't us. It doesn't say, hey, be strong in your righteousness. Be really strong in your faith, and that's how you're going to overcome. No, no, no. That's all too weak. And we know that, don't we? Like, this world can be pretty crushing. It's a huge juggernaut. But it's not bigger than God. And so it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. God's got some power. And that's where our confidence and that's where the ability to overcome comes from. 
And the amazing thing is that somehow when we stand with God, we get to adapt that power into our own life. We can be strong in the Lord. But it's also a good warning for us. A church that stands outside of God's power is not going to be that strong, are we? If our church comes up with our own agenda, things that we want to have done, and we decide as a, as a people, we're going to get these things done, and these are our priorities, but we're not standing in Christ and for his priorities, we're going to get crushed. But if we stand with God, if we stand for what he stands for, then the world could come against us and it can rage, but it can't take God down. So be strong in the Lord. And so how are we supposed to do this? Well, he gets real specific. The first thing we need to do is know our enemy. It says, so put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of dark in this world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's the real enemy. See, our culture, we went through a really nasty election system, didn't we? And what do we do in our culture right now to to try to sway votes or whatever? We say to people, that other person I disagree with is not only somebody who has bad ideas, they are awful. We demonize them. They are evil to their core. They have a black heart. I even read several times from different publications. And anyone who would vote for them has a dark heart. Right? I was having coffee this week at, at Kind Coffee, and I got done, I met with somebody, and, and we got done, and I prayed for them, and they left, and I was kind of just sitting there reading and, and my stuff, and I had this person come over to me and just tell me what a horrible person that I am, that I didn't know how bad I was until they informed me. It was really awful. I'm, I'm awful. I mean, apparently, I'm, I'm, no, I'm a woman hater. I'm a, I'm a, a misogynist. I'm, I'm a, uh, what do they also they call me? I'm a racist, apparently. Um, all this, and I, I never met this person ever. Never, never, never. But the fact that I was a person that they thought fit the bill politically, who they think might have voted for somebody, they decided that I apparently was just evil. So I invited them to church. <laughs> I don't see yet, but uh, we can pray when they come. You have to understand that the rancor goes both ways. How many times this week have we read stories in the news or heard things where people have gotten beat up, had their car stolen, been shot because of one side or the other, and then everybody on the other side thinks, oh, that person is evil. That is so not true. And the scripture tells us this. All of us are evil. We get down to it. Everybody falls short of the glory of God. That's why we're saved by God's grace through faith. We've got to stop fighting against people. And see, the most amazing thing is a church that we can see the truth of the battle. Most people in this world live under the delusion that this world is all there is. And so they create demons out of fellow humans. And it creates hatred and bitterness and rage and anger and destruction but we can be different. We recognize that there is an enemy out there, but it's not the people that that stand against us socially. It's against the lies that hold them. And in fact, there's a real enemy out there, a very real one, and his name's the devil. You know, I love this verse, and it's not the one right here, but it it comes from Colossians chapter 2. And in it, uh, it is kind of the taunt 
of the New Testament over the devil. I mean, at some day, you know, if the enemies ever just get into your life, open up uh, Colossians 2.13 and just start reading that out loud to the devil because it's kind of fun, but it talks about how basically... Uh, Jesus mopped the floor with the devil. And at the very end of that passage, verse 15, it says, it says, And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them with the cross. I mean, how cool is that? Even in his most, his, his weakest moment, God destroyed wickedness and the evil one. And he triumphs over it. I mean, totally just dismantles the enemy. That's pretty amazing. And we recognize in Christ, look at Jesus. There was social issues that happened at the time, right? There was a lot of bad things that were going on. But Jesus didn't organize rallies or pickets or all these kinds of things. Instead, he loved people and he taught truth and he changed the world. He fought the enemy. That's what he did. He fought the real enemy and he won. And yet Jesus understood this. It is a spiritual war that we are part of. This is a spiritual battle. And because it's a spiritual battle, this verse tells us that we need to have spiritual weapons. Right? So we understand, so who is this devil? Right? A lot of people think that he's not real. Well, he is. And it doesn't freak us out. Right? So who is the devil? Well, we find out in Ezekiel uh, uh, 28 that uh, he was most likely a cherub, a high-ranking angel that was placed over this earth. Uh, this new creation. And uh, in Isaiah 14, uh, we read that, uh, that it was by pride that he fell, that he wanted to be God. And, and so he decided that he was going to have this rebellion against God. And so he just chooses that he's going to do self-worship and all that. And not only did he trick himself and he revolt against God, but he also talked a third of the angels into it as well. We find that in Revelation I think that's pretty fascinating. Think how good of a debater you're going to have to be to convince angels who can see God in his power and his glory to say, we can take him out. Oh, he's pretty good. He's powerful as well. And so uh, he was obviously very convincing. Not only did he take the angels, but he took a lot of us. And uh, in Scripture, he's called the deceiver in 2 Corinthians. Uh, that's, that's the way that he works, is he tricks people. He's called the destroyer in Revelation. That, in fact, there's other places that it says that his, his, the way that he works is that he kills, he steals, he destroys. All right? that's, that's, the, that's the fruit of his, his dominion. He is uh, called in First Peter a serpent and a lion. And I think that's interesting. The one way is he's all conniving and serpent-like. Right? But he's also deadly. And the other one is he's a lion, just rips people apart. And how many lives of people do we see the devil just destroy and rip apart? He's called in Scripture the ruler of darkness, the father of lies. And we think about darkness, and what is darkness? Well, it's the absence of light, that's what we all see. He's one that rules in the complete absence of the nature and the character of God. He, if light is truth, the enemy, what does he do? He, he leads us into what is not true. Uh, he tries to obscure God's reality so we can't see it, so we stumble around. If light is purity, what does he try to do? He tries to corrupt. That's the nature of his kingdom. He is real and he is out there. 
and he is powerful, and he is beaten. But this is our enemy. And it is that enemy who is so good that he can talk angels into, into rebelling against God. Why are we so upset with other people when they've fallen for his lies? We can't call them stupid, can we? We could just say that they've fallen for the enemy's lies. They live in darkness. But the cool thing of this is that if he is really dark and Jesus is light, who wins? Have you ever walked into a light room with a flash dark? It'd be ridiculous. Light wins every time. Right? It doesn't matter how dark it is. Light wins. And so we have this enemy and he's powerful and he's awful and he's evil. But we're not afraid. We just have to know who he is. And I think understanding our real enemy helps us to not hate the wrong people. Right? The wrong things. Because when I demonize other people and I say, you are the enemy, then I'm going to fight against them. And when I fight against them, I'm going to wound them and I'm going to do all kinds of bad things and we create the wrong war. And the enemy loves that because it's confusion, isn't it? The last thing the enemy wants is for us to really fight against him. So the first thing we need to recognize is who he is and recognize that we're fighting the right enemy. As we find this enemy, we get to do something really fun. And knowing the, the, uh, this enemy is we get to have uh, the right kind of gear, right? This is a spiritual war. We need spiritual weapons, right? Second uh, Corinthians 10.4 says this, that the weapons we fight with, they are not weapons of this world. Uh, it says, on the contrary, they, are, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So the weapons that God has given us for a spiritual war are going to be spiritual weapons, and they are very powerful, and I think most times, because uh, they're not physical weapons, we underestimate their power, but they have the ability to destroy enemy strongholds in a way that is, is remarkable. And so, the fir- next thing after we recognize our enemy is we have to dress for success. That's the thing that he tells us to do, right? And so we find in here a description of how we're supposed to arm ourselves, it says, put on the full armor of God, therefore, so that on the day in the evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. And then it tells us, stand firm then. And it talks about all this, this gear that we're supposed to have. Now, let me give you an example of something. I have in here everything I need to be successful as a paintball player. Well, mostly. First thing has got to be this. I've got to be a real paintball player. You put this um, on somebody who has no idea about paintball, they're going to get shot up all day long. I've been built for this. I've practiced, right? I've honed my craft. I've, I've studied, right? I've gone out. So in the very core of me, I am a paintball player, right? And yet, if I walk onto the field of, of, of competition like this, they won't even let me on, right? Because I'm, I, well, I'll get hurt. But if, even if they did let me on, I would be totally ineffective, wouldn't I? I would just be a sitting duck. If I walked out like this, they'd be like, and I'd be like, oh, well, that was bad. (laughs) I got to gear up if I want to be successful. And so inside of this wonderful bag, this very heavy bag, is all that gear that I need to be successful. And it's great gear. I've invested into it. I've taken good care of it, all that great stuff. But if it stays in that bag, it does me no good. It is my gear. I own it. But if I don't put it on, it doesn't do anything. 
And I think it is like this for the armor of God. All of these things are already yours. They've been set aside for you. But you've got to put them on. And so he gives us a word picture, and since I don't have Roman soldier stuff, I decided I would pick up the only gear that I do have, and I will show you why it's important. And it tells us there are some things that are necessary if you're going to go out and you're going to go and you're going to be successful. The first one says the belt of truth. And this is my wonderful vest. And if I put it on, you'll notice on the inside there is something in there that is the very first thing that I do when I put this on. It's a belt. And the reason I have this belt is because this thing is heavy and it's awkward and it swings around and all that kind of stuff. But I put this belt on... And all of a sudden, all that weight rests upon my hips, right? And it holds everything together, right? It, it holds everything. If I fail to, to get this on there, my, just, my, va- uh, my vest was going to swing all over the place, and I'm going to be knocked all over and things like that, and it's just going to be a, a mess. I think it's interesting that God calls truth a belt because it holds everything together, doesn't it? It's what really kind of binds all of this other stuff to us. The reality is, is that what Christ teaches us is true. And what do I mean by true? It's that which corresponds to reality. What Jesus tells us is actually what really is. How do we know that? Because when God says something, it becomes true. He said, let there be light. And guess what? Light. See, when God talks, it happens. That's why it's impossible for God to lie. If he says it, it is. We can trust what Jesus says to be true because he's God. He's the very one that tells us in John that created all things. When scripture tells us it's the way that life works, it's the way life works. And we have to understand that it is true. We have to apply that truth to our life. And when we do that, it gives us some stability. Everything else clings to that, right? It hangs on that. And if we fail to put truth in our life, if we fail to say, you know what, God's way is true, and my way is true instead, I might try to put on righteousness, but it's not going to cling to me very good. <laughs> right? I might t- try to put on, I might have to have faith or other things, but it's not going to really cling. When I understand, when I really come down to it and say, you know what? God's way is true. Scripture, his word, true. It's absolutely true. Then things can begin to change, right? I've got to put that on first. And so if you have questions about the truth of Scripture, I'll tell you, one of the things that drew me to Christianity was this. It is the only faith, the only religion that's out there that challenges itself. There's an entire field of study called apologetics, and the only reason about this is saying, is it true? And you can get your doctorate in it, in like 14 different fields of apologetics. We really go down, we drill down, is the Bible true? How do we know it's true? Is the history true? How do we know that it's true, right? It's... We go through and we look at philosophically, can it be true? Can, is our faith based on reality? And it is. It can stand the harshest criticism, which I think is the most amazing thing, because it's true, it's based on reality. We begin when we start by saying God's way and his kingdom is true. We put that belt on, and the next thing that we need to have is then a breastplate, because if you walk out into a battle and you just have a belt on, it's not a good thing. And so the next thing is is to be able to put a breastplate of righteousness on. Now, I don't have a breastplate, but I do have is I take this vest and I zip it up. And when I zip it up here, it creates all kind of padding here because I get hit a lot. (laughs) Because I'm not slender. (laughs) 
And what this does is it takes all of the, the major hits and it just makes them not feel so much, right? It keeps me safe, my core, this part of me. Now, if I was going to war, I would really want body armor, right, to stop, like, deadly things. But I haven't even got protection in the back from it, right? Boom, hard stuff. Not that I would ever get hit in my back, but maybe occasionally. <laughs> the idea of this is to protect the very core of who we are, right, the vitals, and the breastplate of righteousness does that. A righteous life protects the vitals of your faith. Right? If we live a life where we say, God's word is true, but I'm not going to apply it to my life. I'm not going to live a righteous life. You're going to go out into the world, and what are they going to do? They're going to destroy you with this wonderful thing that they love to you, this weapon called hypocrisy. And they won't care anything that you have to say. And your life will work again, and you're going to be totally ineffective in this battle for Christ. We have to live according to truth. And that shields us with righteousness. Are you going to be perfect? No. But the more that we put on this breastplate of righteousness, the safer we become. The less the enemy has to use to take us down. How many great Christian leaders have been taken down in spectacular fashion because they forgot to put righteousness into their life? Or they agreed that God's word was true, they just didn't really apply it. And they get to great positions of prominence and once they take off that breastplate of righteousness and let corruption into their life, the enemy goes and he takes them down, doesn't he? And usually he takes out a huge swaths of other believers with him. It is essential that we put this on. Now, when I put on this gear, I don't anticipate getting hit. That's not how I play. I play with the idea that I'm going to go out and destroy and dominate and that's the way we're going to do it. <laughs> right? And there are times that that happens. I don't gear up thinking that I'm going to need this protection. But I tell you what, there are times when I'm so glad that I have it on. There are a lot of times in our life that we live righteously not because we think we're going to be attacked by the enemy. But I tell you, when the attacks come, you're going to be so happy you have that on. Let me give you an illustration that happened just this last year. I had this wonderful opportunity to coach uh, our kiddos along with Judd and, uh, and Brad and some other guys. It was, it was a lot of fun. We went out there and we kind of coached these kids and Later in the season, there was a, a parent that misunderstood something I said, and they began a rumor about me that wasn't true. And my life proved that I would not do something like that. You know, the most amazing thing was is that I didn't have to say anything to defend myself. It was the reputation, the, the, all of this righteousness. Other people around me would say, no, no, you got that wrong. It was the most amazing thing. That's a breastplate of righteousness. You need to have righteousness in your life when you don't think you're going to need it because there's eventually come a time you're going to need it. Righteousness. Now, this is great, but if I came out to the field just like this, I would still have a hard time. Why? Because we play usually uh, rocks and on, on courses where uh, the, the, the footing is not all that great and these shoes are not athletic shoes. And so it tells us to put on the footwear, the gospel of peace, and I have these wonderful boots and these have a um these really great uh vibram soles on there and so what they do is they stick to rocks like glue they're amazing and they're they keep my feet dry and cool and all this kind of stuff i remember one time i tried to play in uh, boots that didn't fit and i had horrible sores on my feet and i couldn't do anything footwear matters see if i didn't have these kind of boots on there's a lot of places in the field that i couldn't i just couldn't go there are places that i would slip and i'd fall and get scratched up and it would be bad 
I put the right footwear on and I can go to all kinds of different places. It is the same way with the gospel of peace. If where I'm walking, I have the footwear of, of confrontation, the footwear of confrontation, wherever I go, I'm just going to prove people wrong, right? I'm gonna. There are a lot of places in, in the ministry of God that I can't go. There are going to be a lot of hearts that are going to be walled off to me because every time they see me showing up, they're going to be like, oh, there's that horrible, awful guy, Aaron. Right? But if I have the gospel of peace wherever I walk, if, if, if I'm not people's enemy, and if people know that I genuinely love them, even if I disagree with them, there are, there are all of a sudden whole new theaters open for me to operate in. I can talk about the truth of God with people who may not understand it yet and at least have discussion. And if they attack me and I choose not to fight back to them, right, and I can choose to love and listen and and have peace, I will win the right to talk. I will win the right to shine the light of, of truth. I will win the light for them to look into my life and to say, wow, all those things I'm accusing that guy of really aren't there in his life. But if I'm walking around and, and just antagonism and in anger and trying to bully people and all that kind of stuff, guess what shuts down? The very people I'm trying to save. We need to be fitted with the gospel of peace. To recognize that Jesus came to make peace with us even when we were still his enemy. When he was had every ability to call down legions of angels and just wipe out any of his enemies. He let people spin on him, lie about him, do all kinds of horrible things to him. And he did that out of love for them. He did that because he was declaring a waging a, a mighty war of peace between God and people. It was a great thing. And we get to do that. What this means is that when I walk into uh, this community and this culture that's just so divided and so many people are so afraid of what God might look like if he so much into their life, to show them the reality is it's not as scary as they might think. That it's really the enemy that's really destroying their life. And I can do that not when I'm antagonizing and saying, oh, you're just this horrible, awful person. But when I get to show them who they really are, somebody deeply loved by God, and I could show them that I'm not out there to attack them or to belittle them or do awful things, but I dare to care for them. It opens up all kinds of new ways for me to be able to, to shine the light of Christ in areas that, that I wouldn't be able to otherwise. And beyond that, it says, now we're supposed to have a shield of faith. I love that. Now, I don't have a shield because that would be cheating in paintball. <laughs> I wish that I did a lot of times have a shield because I could use it. But we all get the concept of a shield. It says it stops the fiery darts of the enemy. I love that. Ranged attack, right? What does a ranged attack by the enemy look like? It's like this. You're just walking around your life, everything's going fine, and all of a sudden, you know, you lose your job, and it's not even fair or right. You're like, what did I do to deserve this, right? It's just like, ah, right? Or you're going along in life and everything seems to be fine and you didn't sin or anything all of a sudden some, you get sick or somebody you love gets like really sick and it's just not right. And it burns. Right? Or you're doing fine, everything looks good and there's an accident. You see, the enemy is, is awful. He's mean. He attacks us in our life with these things and we don't even see him coming. 
And then the worst part is, is there's no way to just directly fight back against it. How do you fight against the devil if you get sick? Well, what are you going to do? Like, where is he at to hit? He's like this wraith, right? Came out of nowhere. And you're like, devil, right? But there's, it's so frustrating. Well, if you lose your job, like, what are you going to do? Like, you can't just go and just go punch the devil in the face. So what do you do with these ranged attacks? It says, well, we shield ourselves with faith. And this is how it happens with it. The enemy is going to attack us. And those things are going to hit. But they're not going to penetrate. See, one of those things in life, when, when difficulties come into our life and we don't understand why, and it doesn't, it's not fair and it's not right, and we didn't ask for it or anything like that, and the enemy just attacks us, and we don't have faith, we're not trusting in God that he's got a plan for this, what happens is it really takes us down. We're like, God, where are you? If you were good, my life would be good, right? That's what we say. And a lot of times Christians get totally derailed on, on their mission because the enemy brings lousy things in their life, and they're like, oh, I don't even know how to handle this. And then they're out of the game. Faith changes that. When faith comes in, we recognize that God is sovereign and he is loving. And he is victorious. When suffering comes into our life, we recognize Jesus suffered too. When he suffered, he overcame everything. You know what? There was this guy, he was named uh, Paul, and he was taken up to prison in Rome, and, and on his way there was a shipwreck, and he survives that, and they get onto this shore, and now they're all wet and all this kind of stuff, and they're around a bonfire, and then he gets bit by a poisonous snake. I mean, talk about bad day. Ranged attack. But you don't see Paul just like, well, that's it. Where is my God, right? Trying to stand for him. Now I'm a shipwrecked on an island. Now I'm snake bit. Right? No one wants to talk to me. It was from that snake bite that God worked. And because he didn't die, all the other people were like, you must be God. And he was like, no, 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 I'm not God. Let me tell you about him. See, faith is what allows, it turns the enemy's attacks against him. It allows us to withstand all these things because you will be bombarded with lousy things in this life. And as a Christian, you are a target and the enemy will come after you. But faith reminds us whatever comes against us is not, is not going to take us down. It's not meaning that God has rejected us or anything. If there is a weakness, if there is suffering, it is an opportunity for God to work and we can trust him and we will stay faithful in the midst of it until we see God work. Faith is crucial. It is trusting what we cannot see yet, but we know it's true. And then as God is one, take up that shield of faith. And with that shield of faith, then it says you want to put on your helmet of salvation. I actually do have a helmet. got this wonderful helmet right here. And it gives me great protection all the way around. And, uh, and I love the idea of, of what a helmet can do for me. I, with all this gear on, I still can't even enter a, a, a paintball competition until I put this on. This is the only thing that's required. Right, because if you get shot in the face, bad things happen. And I think this is in our life. Really, we cannot go against the enemy with any effectiveness until we have a helmet of salvation. Now, what does this mean? Well, scholars always like to debate things. Does it mean that you're not saved if you don't have this helmet of salvation? I don't know. I think he's really talking to Christians. I think all those people are saved. The helmet of salvation is this, is you're reminding yourself you know that you're saved. What this does for us is it keeps us from being terrified of things. So, like, if you, have a, if you work at a job site and there are, like, things above your head that could get dropped and, and, and knock you out, you're going to be a little nervous, aren't you? You're going to be looking up above, right? It's going to be hard to pay attention where you're at in certain areas that you'll be nervous to go to. But if you had that nice hard hat on and things like this, the, the level of anxiety kind of comes down a little bit because you know you're covered. 
It is the same way with salvation. This world is a difficult place, and there are some people that are, are very lost. And they're lost into very hard sin, and the enemy is out there, and it can be very anxiety-producing for the Christian. You want to talk about Syria? That's an anxiety-producing place. Or how about uh, if we go to Iran? It would be an anxiety-producing place, wouldn't it? But there's a lot of times that broken homes are anxiety-producing places too for Christians. Or how about talking to neighbors or family members who disagree with us on political things? That can be anxiety-producing, can't it? We look at this world and we say, oh, this world can be so scary. How do we as Christians, how do we go out and, and handle those things? How much salvation is really powerful because it reminds us this. There's a day coming where this all ends and we'll be fine. Let's just say something horrible happens, right? Uh, some crazy guy comes in here and just kills us all. Guess what happens to you? If you're in Christ, you go to paradise. That's it. You're good. Well, let's say something even worse happens, right? Something, some bad thing happens and we all get really, really sick and most of us live maimed for 40, 50 years. Then what happens? You go to paradise. It doesn't matter, right? Our future is secure. And in light of eternity... It says in Scripture, these present and momentary troubles will seem like nothing. What that does for us is it lets us not be so terrified of this world. It's like Jesus. He was able to go and to hang out with the drunkards and with the crazy partiers and the bad politicians and, and the crooked businessmen and all those types of things. He was able to go and hang out with those that religious people were too afraid. What happens if I go and hang out with them? But Jesus was not afraid. He, he understood the end game. So we've been called to go into the darkest places because we are the light. We're supposed to go and to, to care for those that are the hardest to love and who will probably want to wound us. And that's okay because we know we're fine. At the end, we're all fine. And so we can go and we don't have to live with fear. It enables us to go to places and live with boldness. Helmet of salvation is powerful. And all of this defensive stuff is fantastic, and yet, if I showed up at a competition and that's all I had, I still would be ineffective, wouldn't I? There are other things that I need. And it says a sort of a spirit. You have to have some type of offensive thing to make a difference. I have this. This is my X7 Phenom. Oh, it's a thing of beauty, isn't it? Got adjustable stock. It's got the optics on it. Thing is amazing. It's called a marker for a reason because I can color somebody really quickly. <laughs> right? Just head to toe. Very fast. In a skilled hands, this thing is amazing. All right? Now, if I had no idea what I was doing, uh, and there are certain days where I don't feel like I know what I'm doing, it's not very effective. But when I know what I'm doing, and it's in skilled hands, this thing is, this thing is, is uh, something to be reckoned with. Right? It has at times shut down entire portions of the field, removed the enemy from being able to take different portions because it, it can sling some paint. We have a sword. We have a weapon that God has given us. And the fact that we have that weapon is awesome. But if you don't know how to use it, it does you very little good. You have to become skilled at it. Now, how powerful is the sword of the Spirit? There's a st uh, one of the stories in Jesus' life where uh, he is, uh, after he's baptized, he goes and he spends 40 days uh, getting softened up by the enemy so that he can tempt him. And the devil himself, the prince of darkness himself, comes out against Jesus, all right? 
And in even his weakened state, he comes out against Jesus and he tries to take him down. And how does Jesus destroy him? With a word, three times, that's all it took. Three passages. And all Jesus had to say, well, it is written, and he just quoted off a little scripture, and the devil was like, ah! And he ran. He ran out of there. This is powerful. I think it's ridiculous. You watch these movies like The Exorcist or things like that, and the devil looks like so powerful. It's like you walk in with the word of God, and the enemy is terrified. This is powerful stuff, but it's only powerful if you know how to use it. That's why we memorize it. That's why we talk about it every week. That's why you've got to be in it. That's why you be reading it, asking God, thinking about it, how does it apply. But I will tell you, it is the ability to destroy whole strongholds from the enemy. God has given us an amazing weapon against darkness. And it's a weapon that can free people from the lies of death and destruction that they're, that they're held to. We cannot be Christians and be effective Christians if we do not have a mastery of this. Right? We can't be effective in our mission. This is so crucial, which is why we give them out for free to you guys so you can read them, we can understand them and study them. But once you have this, and as you have it, this is, uh, it's remarkable the difference that you begin to see in your own life and the lives of the people you love in our community. This is a weapon, and it's a wonderful weapon, a weapon of peace. And if that wasn't enough, this wonderful weapon of truth and of peace, it tells us that we have this, this uh this great uh, armor that we have. We have this weapon. There's one other thing that, it, that we have to do, and that's this, that we get to pray then in power. The, we, we have all of this stuff, but that's not the end of it. In verse 18 it says, Also, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With, and I think that's a cool thing. That it's not just about us fighting. There was one piece of equipment that I don't show you on my vest right now uh, because... Uh, uh, mine got destroyed in the flood, and I'm getting a new one. But it's probably the most uh, powerful piece of equipment that I have, and it's my radio. I keep it right here in this pocket. Because what that radio does is it keeps me connected to my whole squad, but also to command when we play in big games. It, it warns us when things are coming and we don't, wouldn't have seen it, right? If I'm stuck and I need help, boom, I can talk on this, and all of a sudden I've got help on the way. It's an amazing thing. Now imagine if I, when I'm radioing, I'm talking to God. <laughs> right? Uh, he's probably the world's best paintball player. Right? When we want to talk to God about if we're feeling stuck, we need help, it's not just, and it's a two-way conversation. I love that about radios. It's not just that I'm always just listening and not always just talking. It's a two-way communication, and I'm talking to God in, in prayer, and God's talking back to me, and he's helping us and equipping us, preparing us, and he's giving us cover. There is no way to lose when you have God there. Right? And it tells us to pray. And I love how it tells us to pray. It says pray in all kinds of prayers. Right? In all occasions. You know, prayer is power. And a lot of times we think, oh, we'll pray if, if we can't do anything else. I, I thought it was funny uh, and sad that uh, there were some celebrities who recently said, you know, were saying, well, if something bad happens, just tell me you have your thoughts. But don't tell me you have prayers. What a waste of time. Do something of value. And they have no idea the power of prayer. And we see prayer changes nations and it changes hearts and lives. It, it's, it opens up theaters away from the enemy. It is a powerful thing. And so we pray. We pray constantly and we see things happen in power. And it says to pray in the Spirit. That is, we pray in God. God has power, doesn't he? 
We don't pray in and of our own selves. It's not like we sit there and just chant things over and over and over again. We talk to God and we say, God, help us. Give us direction and he'll give us good direction. God, you know, we need you to move in this because this is too big for us. And God moves. And I love the thing it says, if you pray and you have even just a mustard seed size of faith, God can move a mountain. What does that mean? It means that it's not the power of your prayer, it's the power of God who does things. It's not your faith that does anything, it is God. And so we pray in the Spirit, we pray to God himself. And it prays all kinds of prayers. It means we need to be vigilant. There's not just one kind of prayer. I'm always on the lookout. Well, I'm going to pray for this person to be saved, and that's the only thing I'm going to pray for. Well, that's a great thing to pray for. But how about could you pray for all kinds of stuff? I mean, I think about there's times where I'll be like, Lord, my wife is not feeling great, and we have to go to the store. I'm going to pray for a parking space because she needs to get there. And, if, <laughs> and sometimes you get a parking space. Sometimes he says, nope, you're going to park in the back, but I'm going to give her extra energy. And she's able to walk in and walk out. You pray. You pray with all kinds of things. When you see families that are struggling or you're talking to your, 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 your friends or your neighbors and you don't know what to say and there's, it becomes heated, stop and pray. Now, here's a cool thing. You're praying in the Spirit, so you don't have to always pray out loud because that would freak people out sometimes, wouldn't it? You're like, okay, just a second. Lord, help. No, you can just pray for wisdom all day long. Lord, give me words. Give me your heart in this situation. Help this person see your truth. Pray for them. All kinds of prayers. Isn't that cool that God offers says, I want you to be talking to me. And there's a power in this. We need to be vigilant. We need to be looking for opportunities to be praying and asking God to intervene in this world. And he does. And the last thing it says, we need to pray strategically. He says there, pray for all these kind of things. He says, also pray for me. Well, this is the apostle. Why are we praying for the apostle? Because he's a leader and he's going to be under attack. It's important for us as Christians to recognize that we can be very strategic in what we pray for and things will happen. Think about our, our military. In the, in the World War II, we didn't have great technology for, for directing bombs. And so what did we do? We carpet bombed, right? We just loaded up with a bunch of explosives and we would drive over and fly over an area and then just kind of like, well, we hope it hits them, right? That was the idea. And then as technology increased, now we're able to target things. We're like, this house, that's it, right? And it's much more effective, isn't it? I think oftentimes as Christians, we try to like carpet bomb the enemy. We're just like, well, just throw willy-nilly things. Lord, be with us today and give their, make their world peace. Okay. How about this? We have a new president. Are you praying for his salvation? Are you praying for his wisdom? Because it affects us. How about this cabinet? How about the Congress? How about our judicial system? How about our mayor? Right? How about those that are in authority? How about our police officers and our fire chiefs? Are we praying for them? Are you praying for your elders of this church? And for me as a pastor, are you praying strategically? Peace on earth happens because God's at work, but we can pray very strategically for things, and we get to do that. So pray for your leaders. Pray for those in authority. That's what it says in Scripture. Pray strategically and expect there to be results because God's powerful. Pray. This is the armor. It's not fancy. It doesn't look nice. It kind of stinks sometimes. I get it. But it's powerful. And it equips us to go and to live the effective life for Christ. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what the terrain, it allows us to live in victory and work in victory. So let's put it on. So how do we do that? Well, I've got some ideas for you. If you take out your connection card, and on the back side of this, 
some things that you can do to, to help begin to armor up. First one here is why don't you memorize Ephesians 6.11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Notice it says that word full in there. That's important. If you put on partly armor, you're only partly ready. I would never go to a paintball competition wearing half of that. Can you imagine the Denver Broncos playing right now if they just put on like their shoulder pads but not their helmets or didn't put their pants on and had everything else on? You'd like, what are these clowns doing? You're not ready. Put on full armor. Put on the full armor of God so that why you can take your stand against the devil. It reminds us who we're fighting against. This is a powerful verse. It reminds us the truth of what we're fighting for. When you are feeling defeated, when you're feeling depressed, you're feeling like you don't have direction as a a person in faith, this is a powerful verse to remind you of what it's about and what we should be doing. Put on that full armor. Okay, so what if we do that? If you commit to that, what else can you do? Why don't you read about that full armor yourself in Ephesians 6, 10 through 24? There is power in the word of God. It is a sword of the Spirit. So you need to spend time with it. You can listen to me. That's great. That's a good first step. But get into the word and read it. That's the most important thing. And after you do that, how about this? Would you commit to praying in power? You know, start praying all kinds of prayers in the Spirit. Not saying, God, this is what I want, but start to say, God, what do you want in this? God, can you help with this? Can you begin praying in power, praying strategically and vigilantly? Would you commit to this week, be thinking about, Lord, give me opportunities to pray and to pray peace into this world that desperately needs it. Let me pray healing into a very divided culture. Let me pray for your truth to invade the lives of those that are, that are believing things that just aren't true and are destroying their lives. Pray in power. Would you do that this week? Or how about with this? Maybe you just need to armor up. Hey, it looks all this kind of stuff, and maybe you're real struggling with that belt of truth. Well, go and investigate it because the Scripture's true. That's what I did. I investigated to ad nauseum until I was willing to submit to it, but I tell you what, it is true. It's amazing once you find that out. Or maybe you know that it's true, you just need to really accept it. There are things that the Scripture are going to disagree with you. That's because you're not God. Right? And so you say, God, if I disagree with you, I'm going to wrestle with that, but I'm going to accept yours as true. I'm going to start applying that to my life. Or how about this? Are you going to have that that helmet of salvation? You're going to carry that with you. Are you going to have that breastplate of righteousness? You think about how you're living. Are you living what is right even when no one else is is looking? Are you going to be able to then carry around the sword of the Spirit? Are you having your your feet uh, laced up with the gospel of peace wherever you go? Are you armoring up? Maybe that's what you need to do this week and be thinking about it. Say, you know what, this week, I'm going to put on the full armor of God so that I can take my stand against the devil and his schemes. Do it. That's what I encourage you to do. Maybe there's another commitment that you have to make. Make it. uh, Let us, uh, if there's uh, something on there that you want to do, let me know so I can pray for you and support you as your pastor. If you have another uh, decision to make, let us know as well. or if you have a prayer request, here's the thing. You don't just pray for me. I pray for you every week. It's a great joy for me to pray for you. And I want to pray strategically. So help me know how to pray for you. Write it down and know that you will be prayed for. And if you want a prayer team or the pastors to pray to join me on that, let us know. And know this, that, that you will receive our prayers. But you have to let us know what they are. All right. So in a minute, we're going to take our offering. And we take our offering. Please take these connection cards. Put them in the offering basket as it is passed. All right. So before we do that, let's just... Uh, quick prayer to God to dedicate these these offerings, these gifts, and these commitments to him. Father God, thank you for you. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your, your victory over the devil. I think it's amazing what 
peace we have that you have overcome the enemy. Now, Father, this week, help us as a church to work in victory. And in that, Lord, I know that we need to put on that full armor of God. So help us to do that. And let us wage not the wrong kind of war that brings division and death and destruction and all those things, but, Father, the kind of war that you fight. For we see that you waged a mighty war against the enemy and it resulted in salvation and peace and changed lives for the good. So, Father, let us be a part of that. Let us wage the spiritual war with spiritual weapons, and, Father, and walk in that spiritual victory we have in Christ. Lord, in this, I pray that you would help us to keep these commitments that we've made today, each one of us. Lord, I know the enemy is going to try to keep us from those things, so I pray that you would help us to stand in you and, and to be consistent. And I pray that you would work through us as a church to, expend, to expand, Lord, the, uh, the gates of your kingdom and this community. As we prayed earlier, that your kingdom will come and your will will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. And Father, in that, we also want to thank you that you do give us everything we need. And so we are, as we have an opportunity this morning to give back to you, I pray your blessing over these tithes and these gifts, these opportunities to invest in your kingdom. May you multiply them and use them for great things, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.